Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Well, hey, Rod. We're going to talk about the upcoming roster, and I, with the new reality that is college of basketball today, we not only have the transfer portal, which was a fairly new new uh, development, but we also have name, image, and likeness, which certainly changed the landscape of the whole process. And it's a lot of things for a guy who's been coaching as long as Tom Izzo, there's certainly a whole lot of stuff that he has to kind of adapt to and figure out on the fly, as does everyone. We see some people like uh, head football coach Mel Tucker. He seems to have embraced this and was very successful his first year and using the transfer portal. I don't think anyone's probably expecting a Kenneth Walker to arrive in basketball to help the team. But let's go through the the roster of next season as it stands now, and then we'll kind of discuss what's what's happening in the news. Well well maybe maybe before we we go into the roster though, you, you make an important point and you know we're recording this on uh, the twentieth of April. And just within the last 24 hours, we've seen the impact of um, name, image, name, image, and likeness. Uh, Oscar Tshwebe, who was National Player of the Year at Kentucky, electing to return to Kentucky. And I can't remember the last National Player of the Year that came back to college basketball. It's been a while, a long while. Uh, and that's reflective of this new reality because the word is I've seen supposedly a floor of $2 million next year for him in terms of, uh, in terms of what he'll be earning, what the package was that was put together by various parties. And obviously it's not the university directly, but various parties around university of Kentucky's athletic program Uh, on the flip side uh, and specific to our listeners' interests in the Big Ten, you had um, Coburn, uh, Kofi Coburn at Illinois, turned down what was reportedly a, uh, to use the Will Wade vernacular, <laughs> strong-ass offer um, to keep him at Illinois for another year. He's elected to go pro. And, and so you've seen both sides of that equation. What both of those guys share in common, and this is what's going to be unique about it, for college basketball going forward. Neither one of them projects as a very likely factor at the NBA level. The the NBA game and the collegiate game have, in my lifetime, never been further apart in terms of what's valued, Uh, specifically at that position, at the five, which both of those guys I just mentioned are. A guy, you know, the Big Ten, as we've talked about for the last 
two, three years has just been filled with giants, just absolute behemoths. Coburn was obviously one of them, but, but only one of several. That's an anomaly at the NBA level. You do not see guys the size of Coburn or Dickinson or Zach Eady in the NBA all that often anymore. And when you do, they're very different players than those guys are. There's such a premium put upon mobility, you know, the ability to get out and defend away from the basket, the ability to stretch the floor offensively, just athleticism. And, you know, you've, if for those of our listeners who are following the NBA playoffs, you just saw the other night a Michigan State Spartan, Draymond Green, put on a clinic as to how the NBA functions in the modern era by guarding uh, Jokic from, um, from Denver, who is an MVP and an MVP caliber player. But for as skilled and wonderful as he is, he still maybe at times, and it's exploitable at times, has a little too much of the old school big man in him. Uh, and, and Draymond just took him to school <laughs> to the point that he <laughs> lost his mind and got ejected because uh, he was too frustrated from what Draymond was doing to him defensively. So anyway, um, it's going to change the landscape of things. And this has not impacted Michigan State in particular yet, but I won't be surprised if it does at some point. A guy like Tishwebe at Kentucky is just about perfect. It used to be that people said Tom Izzo was really great at, at walking that line in getting guys who were good enough to help his program, but not quite good enough for whatever reason um, to go early. Right. That was, and there's some truth to that. Uh, but now we're talking about something different. We're talking about guys who maybe aren't just good. They might actually be elite at the college level, but for whatever reason, they're not particularly attractive to the NBA. And for somebody like Tishwebe, this isn't a decision uh, built on improving his draft stock. This is an economic decision. He's going to make more money staying at Kentucky last year than he could ever dream of in the G League or going overseas, which would be his two options. You know, he may never earn more money in his basketball playing career than he's going to earn next year at Kentucky. That's a yeah, that's a huge development for sure. So it changes. Yeah, absolutely. It changes the equation dramatically. And, and I think if you're a fan, as, as obviously the two of us are, and, and presumably anyone listening to this is of college basketball. Yeah, there are a lot of negatives you you touched on the subject of the portal and NIL. Yes, there are negatives about it. You have the, the lack of roster continuity from year to year and the, the seeming free agent nature of things uh, as the portal has evolved, particularly over the last couple of years when it's been wide open. But there's another end to this that is actually good for the game if you're a college basketball fan, and we're seeing it with Tishwebe, and he won't be the only one where we're talking high-level players. You know, the rumor is that Hunter Dickinson is more likely than not to return to Michigan, and nobody listening to this wants to hear that. Um, but this is also part of the equation. Hunter Dickinson almost certainly will not be an NBA player, in my opinion. I don't see it. I don't see how, I don't see how he's any better equipped to be an NBA player than Luca Garza was. And Luca Garza 
struggled to stay on the Pistons roster, a bad NBA team that was <laughs> yeah. kind of trying to lose games. And Garza was mostly in the G League. So what hope does Hunter Dickinson have? But if he stays at Michigan, you know, for at least one more year, again, he may never make more money in his basketball playing career than he may make at Michigan next season, depending upon the package that they put together. Um, so this is, it's changing equations all over the place are changing. And, you know, again, we haven't seen that aspect of things impact impacted at Michigan state just yet. But, um, I don't doubt that we, uh, that we will at some point. And we are seeing, of course, the impact of the yeah, portal, I, and you wonder from a, there's, I guess you can make a, a moral or a, an economic argument for for allowing kids the freedom to move around. Cause you, there's no other place in a college kid. You'd say, well, you can't leave school or go somewhere else. If you, let's say you're working a doctoral thesis or something, you, like someone's gonna say, well, you can't go to Stanford because you know, you've already started it here at Michigan state or wherever. And so it, we were in, we're restricting kids freedom of movement. Right. Uh, and, and then you also wonder too, with this aspect, how it really just changes the game. Maybe you have two totally different types of games in some ways exist within United States, you have sort of a pro game and a college game, which would be more and more different. I don't know. So I, I don't want to give everyone a dissertation on antitrust, but the basics are this in capitalistic Western society, such as ours, we have a bias against what's called restraint of trade and restraint of trade mean is nothing more complicated than a rule or statute or standard that prohibits one or puts limitations on one's ability to earn a living um, and to function in a competitive marketplace. So those are, the, those are the basics to it. And antitrust looms over everything related to economics and sports. It's the key to understanding why free agency evolved the way that it did. You know, starting with the Kurt Flood case in, uh, God, I think 1970, in major league baseball and you can run the you can run the line through maurice claret which had not happened yet when i was in law school but we knew that was the thing when the maurice claret thing came into college uh, college football and opened up the possibility for players to leave early to be out declare for the draft i knew that was an inevitability all of this stuff what we're seeing in college athletics with with nil and with um and with the portal, with that freedom of movement, at one level or another, from a legal perspective at least, it's always been inevitable. So I can, you mentioned morality. <laughs> I mean, we could talk for hours about this. I won't. But um, I am of two minds with this stuff. I recognize fully that what we have right now is probably not in the best interest of the sport from a fan's perspective, certainly, and, and actually from a coach's perspective, because you have free agency, but much freer than we see in the professional ranks, because there's nothing like a salary cap. You don't have to worry about the competitive. You know, it's just, it's the wild West. There's no rule at all applying to any of this stuff. So it, it really is crazy, and it's going to make things very, very difficult in terms of roster management. From a fan's perspective, it makes it harder, I suppose, to invest in following a team 
because guys are gone. You know, you don't have that four year or at least multi-year relationship that you assumed you would have with players for the most part. You just, it doesn't exist anymore. So I hear all of that stuff, but fundamentally you hit on what really turns it for me in any other walk of life. You can pack up your stuff and move on down the road. If you don't and and fundamentally if you are an American and you are one who believes in our, our economic system and our legal system, I don't see how you can fight against this from that perspective and, and flowing from that from a moral perspective. You know, the reality is these athletes um, are responsible for generating immense amounts of wealth. If you don't believe yeah. me, just take a look at television yeah. contracts. There's your answer. So why should they why should they be prohibited from uh, participating in some of that wealth creation when it's their labor that produces it? It's very, very difficult morally for me to argue against that as much as I can recognize the issues that it creates. Now, what we may see down the line is another thing that has seemed inevitable for a long time is the potential breakaway of the major athletic programs in this country from the NCAA and, and where they may set up their own entity. If that happens, those schools in a, as members of a new entity may in fact opt to impose some type of system, some type of rule-based order that will address some of the negative stuff we just talked about. I have no idea what form that's gonna take, but it will surprise me if we do not see that happen within the next decade to 15 years, maybe even sooner. Who knows? I'm no, I'm not an advocate of that because I think one of the, one of the um, aspects of that will be the end of the NCAA basketball tournament. As we know it, it won't, you will not have the, the David versus Goliath right, yeah. stuff anymore. It'll be all Goliaths. Um, but yeah. that this is all a discussion for another day, but it, in terms of the depth of it, but, but that's where I see this stuff kind of how I see all of this stuff floating around. And we're just still in the early, early innings of, of figuring these things out. But Michigan yeah. state is now right in the thick of it for sure. You know, the, the nature of the college athlete is, will, will probably change and, the, and whether that sort of, you know, new league is created because you're going to have less allegiance to schools and, and the, the, the appeal for watching basketball, which, you know, is arguably much worse basketball than the NBA, right. As far as like the, you know, the, the skill level, no question. Right. Sure. Uh, well, definitely uh, is. The, the, <laughs> the appeal of course is there's, yeah. you know, there's this school, you know, allegiance you have to whoever. And if that, if, if those players are yeah. seen as just free agents, you just fill up rosters like an AAU team. No one follows really AAU teams except people who are scouting, right? No one cares what's happening to the family except people who, you know, except right. a couple of junkies maybe. But for the most part, that's the appeal and it, it will change things. And it, it, like all things in life, they change. And so that's just something we'll have to watch. And again, nothing we can do about it. <laughs> this, that's the risk. That's, that's, that's the risk. And I think that's one of the reasons why you may see increased momentum toward power programs by that i mean like the power five and and at least in basketball perhaps some others beyond that um electing to um 
create their own entity in which they can find a way to put some rules in place that address some of those issues you're talking about. Cause I think that's, that sh- that certainly should yeah. scare the hell I mean, out. It changes the nature of what we're talking know? about. Yeah. That you, that you kill it, that you kill it. Yeah. You kill the relationship between alums. And I, I you know, I, there's part of me that thinks um, for most fans, any team that's playing with the name of the, the school they went to on the front of the Jersey, they'll, they'll pay attention to, but that's a risky, risky um, proposition to stake everything on. So things change in pro sports too, right? Like the free agency change and no longer have the players on forever. And you know, so anyway, let's get on to Michigan state. What's going on this year. Um, and probably the easiest way to do this is just kind of go through the current roster and look at projected what it's going to be next year for this, at least players we know about. And I think that's probably the simplest way to kind of start this conversation. Uh, we'll start with Pierre Brooks. He's a freshman. He's has every intention of coming back next year. Tyson Walker was a transfer. He'll be a senior next year, I believe. Uh, although he'll have an extra year of um, eligibility with COVID, right? Potentially. Yeah. yeah. He's got the COVID year. So theoretically he could play two more years. No reason to think he's not going to be here next year. Uh, Jay Nakins is, will be a sophomore right. next year. There's no indication he won't be. Max Christie uh, was one of the other freshmen who came in, and we'll talk about him later. Uh, Joey Hauser announced today that he will be coming back to Michigan State for his COVID year, I guess we'll call it, since he was he already went through the senior day, yep. which I watched last at the end of last year. Uh, A.J. Hogard will be a junior next year. His, there's every intention he'll come back. Uh Steven Izzo is going to be back, obviously. David Smith has transferred out, and I think he's in the transfer portal. Malik right. Carr, it's hard to know whether he's going to be playing basketball or not. I think he's. it's unclear. Depends on how he does, I guess, at tight end, really, This is from what I understand. Correct. Michael Peterson graduated. I don't think he's coming back. He was... Um, Maddie no. Sissoko is coming back, as far as we know. He'll be a, a junior next year. Uh, Malik Hall will be a senior. He's, he's coming back. Marcus Bingham has made every uh, indication that he is going to the draft or going pro. He's not going to come back. And that sounds like that's pretty definitive. Julius Marble announced entering the transfer portal, I believe it was yesterday. Um, Peter Nwoke, I guess I don't know anything about him, to be honest. I th- he Was he registered this year? Transferred. He, he transferred? Portal. Yep, okay, so he yep. trans- yeah. He right. And portal. Keon Coleman is also depends how well things go at wide receiver this year, but he is planning on coming back if he can, right. but he'll just kind of play by ear. Uh, Jason Witt, uh, Wittens, I, I didn't, he's one who, except for the ACL injury in the, the first game, I don't know what his plans are. I imagine he's he's probably yeah, not coming. Yeah, I would expect him oh, back. You think he will be back? I would expect okay. him yeah, back. Okay, yeah. Yes. And then, of course, Gabe Brown would be the last, uh, number 44. And he has definitively said he is not going to be returning next year. And then additionally, as far as new recruits coming in, we have uh, we have Jackson Kohler, who is a center. And uh, Trey Holloman, right? With who's a point guard? Yep. And is there anyone else I've missed? Or is that yep. is that it that we know of at this point? Nope. That's it for right now. As we sit here <laughs> right. on April twenty. And I think as we talk, I think last time of the show a couple of days ago, I said there were a thousand players in the portal. I believe now it's fifteen hundred. Uh, I don't know whether are there three hundred yeah. or so teams in the in NCAA basketball Division One basketball. So yep. that I mean it like three six three fifty. It's crazy to think that's almost like five players per team is like on average are in the portal, which is, which just shows you the reality of just yeah. how things have changed. And that's just, and so I think 
the thing I think is most important for people to recognize is there are all kinds of reasons people enter the portal. Uh, and I think you can't assume someone enters the portal that something disastrous is happening or that there's some horrible relationship or there's something really bad going on. I mean, maybe, but I don't think you should always assume that it's some black mark on your program that someone's entered the portal because really everybody seems to go into the portal right now. It's very, very common. And so, and, 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 and well, people don't necessarily have to leave it too, right? I mean, you may enter the portal and stick around. So I don't know how you want to jump off. MS, MSU football, MSU football over the past uh, three seasons has had three guys, two this year who entered the portal and then elected right. to come back. Um, so yeah, that's true. Uh, in, in the case of Julius Marble, so we'll start Great. with him. Um, I don't expect that. Um, I think he is gone. But it's, it's a situation that is understandable. So to walk people through it a little bit, uh, his father died during this season. And Julius is from the Dallas area. He's from Texas. And his father died. And from what I understand that has created some stress within the family. And so there's that. I also have heard that there was a relationship he had with an athlete who was at the university of Michigan that he no longer is in a relationship with. And I think that has played a factor. That's my understanding. So this stuff really isn't this one isn't about basketball. I, I think my impression has been all along that Michigan state was willing to take a big man if it was the right one, but that they didn't feel compelled to, they weren't going to get somebody just to get somebody. Uh, I don't think they were anticipating that they would lose Julius. If you, if you'd asked like two sure. weeks ago, I don't think they thought that that was going to happen, but I think this is something that obviously he's had to think about. And so I would be very surprised if he didn't transfer to somewhere around Texas and, and maybe even close to the Dallas area. I mean, there's SMU is there. I have no, I haven't seen a plenty list of options, right. For him yet, but yeah, plenty of options within the state at least. And, and I think that's what drove it. I don't think it was unhappiness with the way he was being used or, you know, look, the reality is as of right now, if they didn't add anybody, he probably would have been the odds on favorite to be the starter at the five. Now, having said all of that, <laughs> me speaking from a Michigan state perspective, um, I think how you feel about this depends upon what happens from here. Because as we talked about in our last episode, Julius, everything I've ever heard, great kid, outstanding student. I believe he was, I want to say he was an engineering he an major. Engineer, yeah. So this was a kid who was, yeah, this is a kid who is serious about his academics, never heard a bad word about him, obviously worked hard, um, but he has real limitations from a basketball perspective, at least for a guy playing that position at Michigan state. Uh, there are two things that he struggles with that it, it's hard to be a major factor at MSU. If you struggle as a defender and as a rebounder, and he just does, that's just the reality. Very good offensive player guy. We talked about it in the last episode, you know, he's a good free throw shooter. He can hit the 15 foot jumper. 
He's a good low post player. I don't think he's a great one, but he's the best on the team. That's for sure. Was the best on the team. So he has all of those elements. Um, but he really struggles defensively. And he's a, I think he's probably the worst rebounding big man to get substantial minutes, substantial playing time in the Tom Izzo era. I can't think of a worse one. And that's, and I, I don't, it's not effort. It's not toughness. I, when I watched Julius, I think we talked about this. His reaction time is so slow. And I don't think that's something that's easily solved. I'm not sure if it's solvable, period. Because I think once you've played a sport for a little while, it's kind of intrinsic. Yeah, instinctive. It sort of is what it is. Yeah. You have the instinct or you don't. And I don't think he does. So, I, you know, I've been kind of amused by some of the reaction in social media over the last 24 hours to this. It's funny because a lot of people who I think probably were very willing to moan and groan about how much MSG was struggling at that position, specific to Julius, all of a sudden treated this as the end of the world that he elected to transfer. I think where you land on this depends on a couple of things. It depends upon whether MSU can add somebody else who might fit their needs better and or how the two guys they currently have on the roster, Madi Sissoko and the incoming freshman Jackson Kohler, how ready they are. Now, I understand skepticism on both of those fronts. I get it, and I probably share in a lot of that, but we don't know the answer to that stuff yet. So I, I don't think Julius Marble was a guy who was prepared to have an all-Big Ten season next year. So, and again, I think, I think the limitations that he has in some really, really important areas can't be glossed over. Um, so again, I'm, uh, is it a concern? Do they need to add somebody? Yeah, I, I'd land on that spot too, but I, I, I don't think this is necessarily the end of yeah, the I, world. I, I really feel don't. like with Julius, probably no one's going to come into next season and expect him to score 15 to 20 points a game you know, consistently. Right. And, and I think you'd say, well, maybe if he's so prolific offensively, he can cover up those liabilities and you could argue Nick Ward was that way, right? Like Nick Ward was so good offensively. You could not have him on the court recognize that he's going to be defensively trouble. Yes. He was much better rebounder for sure. And so uh, you have to be a lot better in some aspect to make it so that you're um, you know, you make it worthwhile. The, the, the problem, the problem with Julius is that it's not, if it was like Nick where it was, okay, he struggles defensively, but he right, can exactly. rebound and he can score. Okay. Okay, you can you can maybe justify that. Although I'll note, <laughs> Michigan State's program in the Nick Ward era didn't really take off fully until, bench, yeah. until Nick Ward got right. hurt. Now that's because they had a Xavier Tillman ready to take a bigger role. You don't have that on this yeah. team, so I'm not suggesting that happens all the time. But that you could play Nick Ward because he did that other thing so well. The problem with Julius is he doesn't do yeah. either of those core things. Well, it's just offense and, and boy, you better be getting a whole lot of offense <laughs> to cover up those <laughs> sins. And, and I just don't think that's realistic. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I would, I would look, I would ideally 
you would have still had Julius and added somebody else who could help in those areas. So at least you'd have the ability to get the offensive production at times in a role. But, you know, I don't know if that was going to happen. My belief had been all along that the only way they were going to end up adding a big man is if somebody left. Right. That those two things would have to go in hand. Maybe it would be they identify somebody they want, that person comes on board, and then someone else leaves because of it. It might have happened in that order, too. But one way or the other, they weren't going to have four centers. Exactly. You know, and Jackson Kohler, by the way, for anybody who thinks he's a four man, don't. <laughs> he is going to be a five. I, I have no reason. To, I'm I'm worried about where he's going to be defensively as a five next year. Forget him trying to play the four and have to extend out on the floor against six six guys who can shoot. Come on. Well, I think I think it's fair to say that so, as far as the situation goes, you clearly don't want him to go. You're it's a it's a net negative at this point. But it may be something that provides yes. room for someone who is, you know, adds to the team, right? And so, yep. I think you know, as you look at the roster right, right. now, you don't. Izzo has definitely works to avoid having not having a point guard, right? <laughs> that is clearly was a nightmare year, right? And yeah. so, he's obviously gone out of his way to make sure that doesn't happen again. Likewise, the year when they didn't really have a good big, and they're playing, you know, Gavin Schilling is trying to play the five. They struggled a lot too, though, offensively. And so, I think you know now. He's going to have Jack Kohler. He doesn't matter. Sissoko. So he's got some pieces, but uh, that's something that I'm guessing he's also not going to just ignore. And so I think there are people worried about it. They're, they're worried there aren't any official visits. I don't know how the transfer portal works, but I'm guessing it does not work anything like regular high school recruiting. You probably have some relationships from people before, but they're also, you know, there are all kinds of boards you can look up and yes. rankings and see how people played and Anyway, I would suspect that a lot of stuff is going to happen and you don't really know about it almost until it's kind of done. Yeah, here's here's the thing. Uh, there are there are names out there right now, but I am not I have not seen anybody yet that I think seems likely for Michigan State. But it is April 20th. Why is that important? There's another 10 yeah. days. Well, there's because there's another 10 days that guys can enter the portal. They don't have to make decisions by then, but they've got to have entered the portal. So that's what you want to keep your eye on. Who else gets into the portal and is someone um, who comes in between now and the end of the month, someone that Michigan State would find attractive? And, and I'm not convinced. Well, let me lay out a scenario. I don't think they need to land someone who is a 30 minute a night guy and, and someone who puts they're going to count on to put up, you know, decently sized scoring numbers or anything like that. I may be more confident than other people. I think there's some debate over this, but I happen to think Jackson Kohler is the most skilled big man from an offensive perspective that Izzo has brought in since Zach Randolph. Wow. I don't mean he's that caliber of player necessarily, or that even there, there weren't guys between then and now who ended up as better players, but strictly in terms of things like footwork, um, ability to, to use angles in the post, um, a sense of space and timing and ability to hit, jumpers to stretch the floor 
Jackson Kohler is better than anybody they brought in at this stage of his career uh, since Zach Randolph. That's how good he is. So I do think if, if you look at him and you say, well, could he give you what Julius Marble gave you last year? Say 15 minutes a game and productive offense when he's in there? Yeah. And I and with the added bonus that I think he's going to be a better rebounder. I don't know for sure how good a rebounder he's going to be, but considering that I've never seen a big man under Izzo worse than Julius <laughs> in that area, I think the odds are with me that Jackson will be better. He was an outstanding rebounder in high school. How that translates, we'll see. But, you know, all of those things could happen, and he could still struggle defensively, as you would expect many freshmen to struggle. Um, and yet he could still be filling the role basically the same way that could Marvel you? did. I think that's an entirely plausible scenario. That, but that what that requires is, for that to matter, is you've got to have that guy who's able to play the minutes that Marcus Bingham did. And they don't have him yet. Either Mati Sissoko improves into becoming that, which is a tall order, or they add somebody. Could you see a scenario? Let's say they're. Let's say no one of quality comes into the portal, and and you know we're not talking about like a Ben Carter who kind of fills a space, a roster spot, which I kind of felt like that was that season. But let's say, let's say they don't add anyone. Could you envision a scenario where you say we're going to try and get through the season, assuming no injuries, which is always a you know risky proposition you know, if you're going to be this thin in the front line, but you could say, we're going to play Kohler 15 minutes at the five. Hauser's going to play 15 minutes at the five, and he'll probably play another 10 minutes at the four. Maybe Malik Hall's on the bench or something like that, mm-hmm. some other combination. And Sissoko comes in to spell for 10 on average. You know, that's sort of how you split up your five spot. Yeah. Is that a scenario that it, you think would be a winning scenario for the team for the year? <laughs> that answers that. I'd be worried about <laughs> I'd be worried about that. That might be what it comes to. I I do not rule that out. But I worry about that because I think, although we're we're fortunately seeing some size leave the building in the conference with Coburn not coming back, Travion Williams has indicated he's not using his COVID year at Purdue, but we still may have Dickinson. It appears certain we're going to have Zach Eady. Some of these other schools are going to still have size, even if it's not, you know, the Big Ten's a tough league to get away with that. And I love Joey, and I love the way he, we'll talk about it as we move on here, but I love the way he found himself during the back half of last season. But defensively at the five, he's actually, it's, it's interesting because he's the flip side of Marble. Marble could actually be okay at times in the post, depending upon the matchup, but he was just terrible in pick and roll defense. Joey's gotten to the point that he's decent. I'm not going to say he's good, but he's a decent pick and roll defender, but he's just so overmatched sometimes on the blocks that it's no, I would, I would say that's a tough, that would be a tough way to try to get through a season, but they may have to, that might be what happens. So I would advocate for adding somebody if right. the right person's there. And so that the question, you know, for a hot minute, there was talk of Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana. Uh, he's being evaluated for the draft. He has a relationship with Izzo and the, the coaching staff. Is that something that you think is a possibility? I mean, he has not entered the portal at this point that I'm aware of. But... Um, from, from what I've heard, 
I would say it's a non-zero possibility, but until you see it happen, I understand the skepticism and I would, I would be in that camp overall. I don't rule it out entirely. It, it just depends. I've heard different things about how he feels about his Indiana experience. Look, bottom line is he's been there for three years and you know, what's he gotten to show for it? I mean, he had a, he had an NCAA tournament cameo where they, they, they won a game in the play in and then just got the the (laughs) Jesus beaten out of them. Now they're somehow they're recruiting extremely well. They just added a kid who had decommitted from Florida, a five-star. They had already landed another five-star. So they're adding some talent at Indiana. And I say somehow because I've heard things about Indiana's program right now that it's – I'm not going to go into detail about it because it's it's just not the the right place. But suffice it to say – you know, those who listen to this probably realize Dane Fife was um, let go yeah. after one year at his alma mater. And um, look, I think Dane, from what I understand, is a uh, unique personality and not a guy who would be a perfect fit in every situation. But if what I heard about that termination is true, uh, he got absolutely screwed. And it's the kind of thing that would lead me to wonder about the longevity of Mike Woodson's program. I'll just put it that way. So given what I've heard, I wonder about Trace Jackson Davis wanting to go back for another round there. And and that is in fact, part of what I had heard is that there was a level of frustration about what his three years have been like. I don't think he envisioned it would be this way. I think he thought he was going to be part, you know, and remember he committed to another coach too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, so I don't know. I wouldn't count on it. I certainly wouldn't count on it, but until April 30th rolls around, yeah. you know, who knows? Well, let's move on to, and, and he's the kind of kid that if, if he had entered the portal, Michigan state would have been in that mix regardless of Marvel transferring out or not. Sure. Yeah. Because he is a guy who solves your problems. Oh my gosh. Rebounding and defense for sure. Yeah. No question. At that point, you're talking about Michigan state, I think as a, a team that would have no reason to feel that they couldn't contend for anything if they added a guy of, of Trace Jackson Davis' right. caliber. And I guess that's what you hope Rick Kohler is. I mean, it's hard to imagine he would be as a freshman, but maybe by the end of the season he gets that to level. We'll see. I, I Look, I, I think it all comes down to defense ultimately for, for Jackson, but I am extremely enthused by him coming into the program. I think he is a very unique and very gifted. Uh, look, if, if you liked Luca Garza, as an offensive player, at least as an offensive player at Iowa, um, to me, Jackson Kohler, he's not as, as big as, uh, as Garza was, but Garza wasn't that big when he was a freshman either. He got bigger yeah. over his college career. But, but if you like that style of player, a guy with just really, really great refined post skills, a high motor can step away from the rim and hurt you. Jackson Kohler has all those elements. So I, I think he's going to be a great player at MSU. It's just a matter of how fast the defense comes around. If you ask him, by the way, he's insistent on social media that he's worked his tail off on his defense. I hope he, I hope that's accurate. 
Right. We are. We post- you know, but I, I just have a feeling. I have a feeling what he thinks <laughs> is capable defense and what Tom Izzo thinks might be two different things at this stage. But if his work ethic is there, then he'll get it at some point. He'll get it well enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, let's talk about Joey Hauser then. So that was, I think, mostly expected that he would return for a, a fifth year. Yes. Or we'll call it fifth year uh, in college. Anyway, um, he's. It sounded like that's where he was leading before when he after he talked to his brother, and he certainly at the end of the season, as we talked about the last episode, he really he really started looking like the the Joey Hauser I think we expected when he came in and for the first time. Yes. Very comfortable offensively, kind of knew who he was, yep. knew the shots that he could take. Pretty good rebounder, I think. He was really good on the defense. He's probably the one I I would say instinctive rebounder someone who actually would get in there and seem to kind of anticipate the balls right and so he's yep. abs- i think is a huge plus to have the the one of course downside is that he's sort of splitting the spot with malik hall which is always kind of a little tricky um but anyway i think overall this is a very great development for michigan state and it, it solves i think some of their problems uh, that might have had yep. on the inside i i i agree and I, what i'm happiest about because again this is a you know, whatever you want to, and, and I understand fans are driven mostly in terms of how they feel um, by the bottom line, are they winning or losing? They, you know, we don't have to live with these guys. So, how much do we really care about what good guys they are or aren't? Right. But um, across the board, this, well, maybe with one exception, um, mostly um, this group gets high marks from what I understand as people. And so when that's the case, and Joey Hauser certainly fit that mold, you're just you're happy for him after a really, really hard year and a half at Michigan State. And that was after having to sit out a year before that, which was an injustice by the NCAA. Oh, yeah. One of many. Um, but uh, after all of that, to get to a point where he did have his confidence come back, and, and it looked to me. And I think the decision kind of tells you that this is an accurate read. He was finally able to have fun again yeah. playing basketball. He looked like he was having fun for sure. This is a guy who had a lot of fun playing basketball in high school and even his freshman year at Marquette to an extent, you know? And all of a sudden it, w- it looked like it was laborious, you know? And it wasn't that way all of a sudden. He was free again. He had fun. He was able to enjoy himself. He was productive. He was confident. And so I think all that is great. I'm glad for him that it's turned that way. And I think, you know, look, there's no reason to think that Joey can't build on that and have a really, really great final year at Michigan State. I see no reason to think that he can't he can't do that. You know, we saw his shot come back with reliability you mentioned his rebounding. I agree with you. He's the most instinctive guy, certainly among the post crew last year. Um, and I think he's gotten better defensively. He's not a good defender, but he's gotten better in some ways. And he tries. I mean, when you remember back last season, some of those minutes he had to play as a five man and just worked his tail off. And sometimes it didn't matter. Sometimes the hard work was for naught because he was he was battling a gigantic opponent. But sometimes it did pay off. And and I think that's a credit to him as well. Um, you mentioned the the downside to it being you got him at the same position as Malik Hall, and ideally you want them both out there. Well, one of the things that Tom Izzo's mentioned uh, 
and we'll see how serious he is about it, but he's mentioned Malik Call playing some more wing this season. And that might be a way that he tries to address exactly what you were alluding to, which is how can I get more minutes for both of these guys? We'll see. Do you- Another way would be Joey playing the five, but I don't think that's optimal. Other than in specific situations where maybe you're trying to exploit a team with somebody like Hunter Dickinson who can't move. Um, when you're trying, you think you can win that matchup that way. That would be the one way where you might want to use Joey some at the five, but generally speaking, a steady diet of it, I don't think is a good idea. Yeah. He'd definitely get overpowered. What do you think with Joey when it came to last season? Do you think, I mean, I felt like there were really high expectations. I think in some ways Izzo set really high expectations talking about how great he was and, you know, no one's able to see him on the court for a year. And I think, I feel like that that made it a little a, a challenge for him coming into, and I don't know if that affected him because he just, again, just looked like everything was really hard. It didn't look like he was ever comfortable out in his role. And, and, and then, you know, try to you watch him some games, just try and shoot himself into a rhythm. And he just never could because, you know, he's not out playing enough or not getting enough shots off. And then all of a sudden it just sort of clicked. Do you think it was just him just tr- struggling to, to find his place in the system? Do you think it was just the system's, more complicated than we appreciate. What do you think that was that with him? Uh, I think some of it may be pressing as, as you seem to be suggesting, but I, I honestly think a big part of it is he finally had reasonable point guard play his yeah. first year at MSU. Yeah. It's hard. You know, when, when you're trying to be a pick and pop foreman and you don't have guys capable of running pick and roll very well, it's hard. Well, this year he had that and it got better. I think as the year went on in some ways, not, not in all ways, but um, you know, with, with Walker and Hogard, that was a much different deal than what he had his first season. We'll never know what it would have looked like if he could have played with Cassius. I have a feeling he would have had a really good year. Yeah. Playing with Cassius Winston. Um, he makes everyone look better. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think that's, to me, that would be the biggest thing. And so that's probably part of this decision on his part as well, is he knows, all right, I've got the two point guards coming back, so I know I'm going to be able to function in this offense with those guys. I already know it works. There's a chemistry. They understand each other and how to play off each other. That's a pretty good scenario. Yeah. And you you imagine with the last name Hauser, he should get some uh, NIL money from Ishbia with all his mortgages. So. Uh, yeah, let's move. Let's move on to the the uh, the one who surprised me because I'm you know not an insider, Max Christie. That I thought you know, as we went through last show, talked about his struggles. His did exceeded expectations probably in defense right from the start. Struggled on rebounding probably, and just his shooting was you know at times really good, but most of the time not very good. And um, and he has decided to. Uh, Evaluate for the draft, I think is what the terminology is. He has not entered the portal at this point. And he still has, you know, 10 days to do that. But uh, there's a lot of indications that there's some problems with with him and his situation at Michigan State. And and whether, I guess, whether he's, you know, what his what he thinks his options are, whether it's going to be in college or if the professional ranks, which doesn't sound like he's, from, from the NBA draft standpoint anyway, that he's going to be commanding a really high draft draft spot, which you wouldn't expect after his last season it's a complicated scenario and i want to be 
I want to be really careful about the totality of what I say, because I, I've heard a lot over the last, say, three weeks, basically since the start of April. Um, the first thing I will say is, for the most part, I don't think there's an issue with Max himself. I think he, from what I understand, he loves being at Michigan State, like playing for Izzo, like his teammates. All of that was there. But it's complicated. Um, I think you're right about him defensively, but the struggles that he had on the offensive end, and you have to keep in mind, this is a guy who came in with very, very high expectations. And I think it's fair to say he did not meet those overall. And when that happens, and when people around you believe that you are an NBA player in waiting, and all of a sudden you have a year like he had, things can get weird. I would never have called this going in. Um, he comes from... I don't think that my impression is they're not an affluent family, but there's no economic pressure for him to go. This is not a Deontay Davis situation at all. Not even close. I just mean they're not, they're not rich enough that, you know, oh, it doesn't matter what happens for Max, but there, there's no pressure from that perspective. Um, he played for an AAU program called the Illinois Wolves, which is, on the Under Armour circuit, but honestly, um, they have had a great reputation for as long as I've paid attention to this stuff and really function more as a grassroots type organization than the stereotypical, you know, Nike, EYBL, shoe company thing. They're, they're not that. So I never would have expected that there would be push and pull from voices around him. It would, it would have been like, you know, Grant Hill. <laughs> it was, it was in that kind of, that's the kind of kid he seemed like, you know, and the situation, yeah. I don't mean just him, but the situation around him seemed that way. Well, that, that's not the case. Um, some of the stuff I heard made me as a Michigan state fan, very angry. Um, and I'll leave it at that. I won't get into specifics, but I don't like some of what I heard. And I don't, I, I think one thing that will be interesting to watch is what happens with the portal. You do see guys simultaneously enter the portal and declare for the draft because that way they can pull out of the draft and then transfer somewhere else, or they could return to their original school. You have all the options open. He has not put his name in the portal, as you mentioned. Um, he has another 10 days to do that. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't, from what I know. Um, maybe he won't. And I, I've said, since this whole thing blew up, my feeling has been the same as it always is in these kind of scenarios, with, with even with just straight up pro or come back to Michigan State situations. The question always comes down to who is the player listening to? It's as simple as that. Who are they listening to? Now, he's my understanding is he's in Los Angeles training 
for his, you know, and, and is full on in his NBA evaluation process. Uh, I think from I'm not any kind of draft expert, but I pay attention to that stuff the same way probably everybody else does. Um, it seems to me that he would be unlikely to be a first round draft pick, but that he probably would get drafted. Uh, despite the struggles he had offensively because, you know, he played well defensively, which is actually encouraging. He clearly has a skill set. It just didn't come to fruition at Michigan state the way people expected it would, but you, you don't look at him and write off the possibility that he could develop into a very good offensive player in time. I would kind of expect that if he continues to get stronger, that's the big thing he's got to do. In my opinion, he's just got to get stronger. Um, so will that be enough? You know, if they say, well, it looks likely he'll be a second round pick. Is that enough to stay in the draft? Maybe, I, you know, I don't know. I, before the season, I would have thought the answer to that pretty clearly would have been, no, that's not enough. He's going to wait. He's going to be like Gary Harris. He's going to wait until, you know, he's kind of mad or, or miles where he's going to max out his draft situation and then he'll go. That's what it seemed like to me. I, I am not nearly that confident anymore. And even if he does pull out of the draft, does he come back to Michigan State? Uh, I think the kid himself, I, I will share one thing I heard, and it's it's why I am skeptical about his returning to Michigan State. Um, Izzo always, you know, at the end of every season, sometimes shortly after the end of the season, has what you could call exit interviews with every player. It's basically a, re, a rehash of, okay, how did the season go? What do we jointly see for you next year? If you've got a pro decision, how are you weighing that? You know, all those things get discussed. I had been told, and I, I'm 99.999% certain <laughs> this is accurate, that uh, he skipped out on his exit interview. He didn't have it. Now, I don't know what may have happened after that once he went home to Illinois. I have, have there been, I, I've heard some indications that some of that has been patched over, maybe. Um, but that's the one of the reasons, and there are others, but that's one of the big reasons why my optimism level for him being in a Michigan State uniform next year is pretty low. I, I'd like to be surprised. But I know how Tom Izzo runs his program. We all do. This is no mystery to anybody. I'm not proclaiming any special insight. Yeah. It's we know how it functions. If you're not all in, you're out. Yeah. So I don't know how all in he can get given some of what's swirling around him. I just, I don't know. And, and some of the, some of the stuff I've heard, like I said, it really really makes i mean i would love to see some of this stuff said directly to tom Izzo's face by some of these people so when you say without getting specifics i mean you're talking about people saying that is it just like max not being utilized properly the offensive sets aren't yeah. ways that he can yeah. maximize his ability he's put in situations that he can't be successful in i mean it kind of sounds that sort of yeah. sounds like any parent who's like That's yeah but you're using my kid wrong or whatever well the the, the <laughs> What I would say in response to that is, did Tom Izzo coach Max 
to pass on open threes so he could take a dribble inside the arc and put up a contested 18-footer? Is that part of the offense? Because <laughs> I don't think it is. But I saw a lot of that as the year went on. You know, that I again, I don't want to bag on the kid because my understanding is it's really not so much down to him. Yeah. But if, if those around you are are negative man it's it it depends i mean there have been situations it's not the first time that parents or people around a player have been critical i mean for those for those who were around during draymond green's career i mean his mother was so vocal during games he went to her to tell her to shut up um so it's not a first but it's just some of the stuff coupled with some of the things I, that have unfolded since the season ended. It, it leads me to be skeptical of, um, of what, uh, of what will happen. But until, until, yeah. I was gonna say, if you're a Michigan state fan then right now, uh, and you're, are you saying, okay, let's say, let's say Max doesn't enter the portal. Should I feel more op? I mean, obviously, a little more optimistic. Should I feel very optimistic that he is returning, or are we saying at that point he? You still think uh, he's just going to the G League or overseas to play? I would point? have uh, my Neil would move slightly more in an optimistic direction, but you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> hard, hard, uh, hard to know, hard to know. Um, I, I just right now that's where I'm at, but I think I think you are on to something. If he doesn't enter the portal, then you would have to tick up the chances of a return to Michigan State, at least to some extent. How much? I don't know. It could it could well be an indication that he's just decided he's gonna he's gonna go do a year in the G League and you know see where that gets. I feel like there's not a lot of NIL money in the Michigan State basketball program to to keep these players like, you know, like you said, the Kentucky player, $2 million. Uh, yes. Yes. And no. Um, because the, the, the no part would be what does, um, what does Tom Izzo, uh, what does Tom Izzo uh, choose to deploy? My understanding is that, it has been um, made very clear that whatever he needs is available. So you take that however you like. The question is, and that, and that's in two ways. There's there's a general structure for NIL at Michigan State, which is apparently, from what I understand, very advanced compared to most other schools. So that's like pooling resources, right? That's available for this. But Michigan State basketball has an alum who's got a little bit of money. Yeah. And, um, and my understanding is that has been reconfirmed, restated recently that, (laughs) Hey, if you need it, it's there. So if they wanted to, yeah, I think they could, they could do whatever was necessary, but I don't know that he's going to feel like he wants to in this situation. You know, Yeah. I I don't think he's going to be in a situation. Let me put it this way. I don't see a scenario where he's like, oh, we got to have Max Christie back, pay him whatever he wants. I don't know. I don't think so. 
I mean, I'm not going to repeat some of the quotes I heard <laughs> about the staff's reaction to some of this, but it would, if you'd heard it, it would not lead you to conclude that that was likely. Yeah. And hey, maybe I've got it all wrong, but I don't think so. Well, and, and, you know, and the course the thing you don't know is you don't know how Max, he's the one ultimately who's in charge of this decision, even though he's being advised by whomever. And he right. seems like a pretty mature kid consider. I mean, when you see him interviewed and he maybe come up to a decision and say, okay, I decided whatever, and I've got to go fix things and patch them up or whatever. So, you know, I guess you never know. That's, that, that's why I say the critical thing as always in these situations is who's he listening to? Yeah. Because if he's listening to Izzo and perhaps other people in the professional ranks that are giving him an honest appraisal of where things are and where he would be best served to continue to develop, well, that might lead to one outcome. If he's listening to other people, it might lead to another outcome. And we don't know. You're, you're right about that. I have never seen a freshman at Michigan State be more poised in terms of dealing with people, dealing with the media, than Max Christie. He's an exceptionally, exceptionally bright kid from all appearances and seems to handle himself extremely well. Um, you know, there was that uh, press conference early in the season where he and Gabe Brown were at the podium. And uh, I think Gabe was asked, you know, if if anybody doesn't get yelled at and he nodded to Max and he said something like he's perfect. <laughs> and Izzo kind of kind of validated that like a day later. But, um, you know, that's why it was kind of hard to see this coming. But since we're in the middle of it. I understand a little bit more about where we are. And so put me down as pessimistic with him, but that could change. Yeah. Well, and we've seen, you know, anything can happen. We saw Miles Bridges come back and I don't think anyone had predicted that that would happen. And, and it did. No, so, you know, anything's possible. Yeah. But, but a different, but a very different, you're right about that, but a very different kind of scenario. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're you all know? unique, right? Cause all the kids are unique in their positions and, yes. and sort of what their, what their situation yes. is. Uh, and just real briefly, I was listening to the show for many years and you're talking about Imani Bates for many years and how he would reclassify and how he would end up entering the 2021, 2022 class. I didn't really read that or hear about that from anyone else. And you were completely correct about that. Uh, the, then he ended up at Michigan state, uh, but he didn't end up at Michigan state. Right. So, right. and then he could have maybe come back to Michigan state, but it sounds like Michigan state didn't really go after him. He's now reentered the transfer correct. portal from Memphis which is, I think, yeah. a surprise to nobody. There's still some people saying, hey, we should go after this guy. How, I, I feel like at many levels, this would be a risky thing. I mean, I think his family is seems pretty toxic. And I think it, his relationship with Jane Akins was, at least his father, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I just can't see any scenario where that would, there's any chance that that would ever happen. I mean, do you, yeah. No, no. <laughs> I agreed. I think that ship sailed a long time ago and it's too bad. Um, if, if Imani Bates had come to Michigan state with the understanding, and I don't mean just his understanding, I mean, his father's as well, that what he needed was at least one year, maybe two of what Tom Izzo would provide him, it would have been the best thing for his basketball development he could have ever done. Uh, 
at this stage of his career, but that was not how it was seen. And so they didn't do that. Instead, they went to a circus and contributed to the circus and they're where they are. I'm still not convinced that he's not going to turn pro. Um, I saw he, there was a list that was put out today. It was, I think, 13 schools. Michigan State was not on there. Michigan was. Um, that supposedly have made contact. I have my doubts. I I said when, when he announced the portal on the Spartan Mag board, I want to see the high major coach that willingly signs on for this. Now I'm not, I'm not prepared to say that there's no chance that someone out there might be desperate enough to say, yeah, I'll roll the dice. What's the worst that can happen. But if you're running an established program, I can't see how you would willingly sign on for it. I just can't because what you're signing on for is you said the word toxic. That's a good word for it. It's a shame because that kid as a, as a freshman in high school was as good as I've ever seen. I'm not quite old enough to have seen magic as a freshman in high school. I saw him as a senior when I was a little kid. Um, I saw Chris Weber later in his high school career, not as a freshman. So I don't know, maybe he was better, but Amani Bates, the freshman was something else. And the sad thing, you know, he won a state championship. He won a state championship in class a with a team that didn't have a single other D one recruit, <laughs> not one. And they won the state championship. It never got better for him than that. Just it all went downhill from there. And it's a shame. It's a real shame because he and I, and I hope for his sake that he can find a way to. But right now, you, you have to honestly wonder. I think it is fair to wonder, is he going to have an NBA career? Which two years ago, I would have said never in a million years is this guy not an NBA player, and maybe he's not a generational NBA player, but he will be a factor. I would have bet the house on that. And it goes to show you nothing is preordained. Yes. But no, I, I don't think Michigan State will be a factor with Imani Bates. I'd be shocked. Well, is there anyone else you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about Trey Holloman, or do you think we just leave that for another show? Because I feel No, like I, think we, I think we should. I think we should talk about – and we should really – we should talk about the, the the roster as a whole, maybe a little bit, you know, what, what we see for next year, what's got to happen in the off season. Um, so let, let's start with some of the returnees real quick, just quick thoughts. AJ Hogarth, we, we talked about a lot the other day. The bottom line is for AJ, I think two things have to happen. One on court, he's got to become a better shooter. And I would expect he'll put the work in to try and do that. Um, but, He's also got to work at being a better teammate and being the player Tom Ezzo wants him to be. I'll put it that way. Sure. And I think there was progress made on those fronts late in the season. I think that's why he's not in the portal. Because my understanding was late in the season, MSU was okay with him being in the portal. Yeah. You know? And he's not. And and he's a key guy next year. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Um. But, uh, you know, that's what's got to happen with him. Tyson Walker, 
look, it's just being confident in who he is and what he's capable of as a player. That's all that's got to happen for him because I think everything else is there. You know, um, you can, you can quibble at the margin and say, well, sometimes against a bigger player, he might have some trouble guarding people. Eh, some, but I think he's pretty good defensively and he's a very disruptive defender for sure. Offensively, he'll make some mistakes, but by and large, I think he's a very capable point guard. Leagues and leagues better than what they had two years ago. Sure. Yeah. Um, and as an offensive player, as a shooter, very, very good. So I'm optimistic about him. He's got to, he's just got to maintain that confidence he seemed to be starting to find late in the season where he steps on the court knowing that he's one of the best players out there. Um, you touched on Pierre Brooks. I think with him, it's just continue to hone that body and hopefully make some strides defensively because attitudinally, he's exactly what you want. That kid is confident as the day is long, and he should be. He's very skilled. He's also got some strength, some size, some toughness on the wing. I think he could even be a small ball four. I don't think they'll need him to be that this year, but I think in the future he could contribute in that way. But I think he's set. He's certainly set to have a much larger role if Christie goes and they don't replace him. Would you see him as like a three, like with Aikens? They sort of platoon that position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. That's probably where he fits in. And then Jaden Aikens, we talked about the other day. Right. I think it's just more minutes. Yeah. And it's just more minutes with him. So that that's your perimeter group among the returnees. Now I mentioned that's if Max leaves and they don't add anybody. Um, couple notes on that. The only player in the portal they were reported to have made contact with was Jalen Bridges, who was a transfer from West Virginia. Uh, Michigan State was among his four schools that he was looking at, and I had been told that there was a high degree of confidence he would end up at Michigan State. That did not happen. Uh, he announced today for Baylor. He didn't end up even visiting Michigan State. Izzo visited him but he never came to Michigan state that was supposed to be in the works for this coming weekend. And then he committed to Baylor. So I'm not sure how to read that as to whether Michigan state, you know, it was funny to me given what I had heard that he hadn't set an official visit date for MSU. He only visited Baylor and Alabama. Um, so I'm not sure where the disconnect was, whether Michigan state wasn't reading it right or whether Michigan state, was kind of hemming and hawing about how hard they wanted to go. I'm not sure. Uh, you, know, you know, he was a good player, but let's be honest. He averaged like eight points a game at West Virginia last year. It's not like they lost a Wooden Award winner. Is that so, because, do you think it's because of Christie and Hauser maybe in flux at that time and he didn't really know as maybe, far as minutes, right? Maybe. Yes. Yes. I think that's entirely possible. And that's what I'm saying. I don't quite know how to read it. All I know is I had been told at a certain point, high degree of confidence he was going to end up at Michigan State and then it, it didn't happen and and I, I was hearing that even though he had set official an official visit date and yet had sent them to other schools it seemed strange like there was some kind of disconnect and again I'm, I'm not quite sure what it was but to date he's the only guy they've um, they've indicated a publicly acknowledged interest in again it's April 20th there's time. I think if you see them go hard after somebody else, 
might tell you something about Max. Right. If you don't see them go hard at somebody else, might tell you something about Max. Uh, I don't know. Um, one other returnee we should mention, uh, Jason Whitens, the transfer, preferred walk-on transfer from Western Michigan, who I think would have played a role last year, but he got hurt in the exhibition game. I think it was the exhibition yeah, it was the first game, game never yeah. played a minute. I don't know for sure, but I would kind of be surprised if he's not back, assuming he's healed fully. Um, I think he had an Achilles injury. It was an ACL I injury. Correctly. I think it was an ACL. ACL? Yeah. Okay. ACL. Um, so it remains to be seen how healthy he is. If he does come back, how much he can help. But, uh, you know, he was a good addition last year for the kind of addition he was. Not a superstar, but he was a guy that Izzo had tried to recruit as a preferred walk-on out of high school. And he elected taking the scholarship offer at Western, which you can't blame him for. And he had been a starter for most of his last two years at Western. So I thought last year he would be a guy that they would use to hold other wings accountable defensively. I was not anticipating Max Christie would be as reliable at that end as he was. Um, it's a good thing it turned out that way because <laughs> I thought that would be his primary role for this team. If he comes back healthy, I, you know, I wouldn't rule out his, his playing a role, particularly if they don't add somebody, I would say it's almost automatic. The other perimeter name to keep in mind is a freshman. You mentioned a few minutes ago, Trey Holloman from Minnesota. I'm very excited about Trey Holloman. He's listed at six, two, but, if you've seen any clips of him, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, um, I haven't seen what his wingspan is officially, but it's a lot, lot more than his listed height. <laughs> he is, uh, his highlights are filled with him blocking guys' shots. And I think what's good about that is it means he probably will play bigger than he is. And, I think that means you can use him in some combinations with other guys. You know, he could guard some bigger players on the wing. He's also a football player. So that's kind of thing. Izzo loves, and, and it's, I think he's going to be potentially an outstanding defensive player. So there's that. I think from what I've seen and what I, what I know about his game, I also think he's got the potential to be a very, very good playmaker. He is an instinctive passer. He's a creative player. And I think he will be pretty much from the get-go a guy that can make plays for others. I think he could be an effective penetrator and finisher, again, because of that size and toughness. Um, and he seems like he's a good athlete. The one knock on Trey is as a jump shooter. And so that's the thing that you'll want to watch for early. But I think when you look at him, you look at Jade Nakins, and then you look at a guy who's currently slated to be a senior next year, Jeremy Fears, who's another point guard that's committed to Michigan State. It's not too hard to see what's coming into focus. Tom Izzo, it seems to me, is looking to get back to, one, having – a lot of effective point guard play, but, but maybe more than that, having guys that just will get out there and defend their asses off 
and and bring some grit and some toughness because all three of those guys fit that mold. And, and so Trey Holloman's going to play this year. Now, you may think, wow, he's a third point guard. He's going to play. How he gets used and in what combinations, that remains to be seen. But he will earn minutes, I think, just solely with his ability to defend and his ability to create plays for others. Um, in the front court, I guess that the two guys we really, because we talked about Jackson Kohler a lot, the two guys we didn't really touch on in any depth, Malik Call, um, we did talk about in our season review. I think with him, it's about mindset. It's how comfortable can he get with the idea of being a key guy because they need him to get comfortable with that. I did mention earlier, as I was talked about, maybe getting him more minutes at the three. I think that's another way that they potentially deal with not replacing Max Christie is they get him more minutes there. I think that is something you could see. I don't know yet how I feel about that. I think Malik is an outstanding foreman. I'm not sure about him defensively as a wing, but we'll see. And then Madi Sissoko, uh, the question there is when does the light switch on? Yeah. You know? Right. So. Well, I think that's a great, great wrap up for the players. And I, you know, we'll come back with other episodes if there's some big news and movement within the next 10 days by May 1st, we'll know at least all the people who are ever going to be in the portal <laughs> at that point, it'll be all decided right. at that point. And we'll be a little bit less speculation, but of course with the draft is I think with the NBA drafts, what in June, right? So there's still yeah. a lot of time yeah. for, you know, a lot of questions on what players are going to do. And that's why with, it's a lot harder to figure out what rosters are going uh, forward until yeah, like August or exactly. September. I mean, as of right now, I don't think there are a lot of question marks around Big Ten programs in that way. There aren't. I, I may be missing somebody, but I think the decisions have been pretty clear cut thus far. You know, it's like that. There's not too many guys that you're looking at. And you're thinking, well, like I could stay in. You know, Max might be an exception in that way. Um, there aren't too many guys like that. But we're also not done. You know, um, Michigan's got a couple of freshmen, for example, who it seems to me might be in that category where maybe they end up declaring, but it's not clear they're going to leave. And it kind of depends on how they how the evaluation process goes, you know. But but as of right now, we don't have a lot of uncertainty yet, but we very well may get some around the league. I mean, certainly watching. I think Diabate certainly looked like the kind of guy who's going to be successful at the next level, uh, whether yeah, right it's, now or, it's interesting, yeah. though. Like, I, I haven't, you would think so, but I haven't heard a lot of noise about him declaring, and he hasn't done it yet, but that doesn't mean he won't. Sure, yeah. Well, the time will tell, and uh, we'll be we'll be on it, and we'll have some uh, evaluations of the Big Ten season in overall and how the Big Ten did, and then also the various Big Ten teams and how predictions were last year. And uh, I'll come up with a grading system for you, Rod, so we can kind of uh, follow you over time to see it. <laughs> how good you are at your predictions for plays in the big 10. Uh, yeah, like- I'm not sure how well it went last year. I had, I had the eventual big 10 co-champion picked, I think ninth. <laughs> so yeah, you, yeah, I've, I'm, I've got an idea for scoring, but we'll see what you think when I read it up. But uh, I, okay. thanks so much for everyone taking uh, time out your day to listen. Uh, if you have any questions for show, we have an email now. You can contact us at TFFINOTS, and that's just because the Final Four is not in the schedule. It's way too long for an email address, so it's TFF. 
I-N-O-T-S at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at T-F-I-N-O-T-S-68. And uh, we'll talk later. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.